Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Vegan Food and Living's Simply Vegan podcast with me, Holly Johnson, and my co-host, Gabriella Clark. With a new episode live every Tuesday, we discuss the latest vegan news, taste test the newest vegan products, and chat to some of the leading names in veganism. everyone welcome to this week's episode you'll be pleased to hear that Gabriella is back and I'm not alone anymore hi Gabriella you're okay hi Holly I'm good I'm very happy to be back yay how many weeks are you now pregnant uh 36 so I am very very close to the big day very excited yeah we're excited too we can't wait to (laughs) what it's gonna be I know. So I thought we'd kick off this episode discussing some of the news, loads of vegan stuff going on in the news. Um, First of all, the study um, that's been published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition um, has been in the news a lot, um, Daily Mail and all kinds of different um, outlets Mm -hmm. around the world, actually, not just the UK, have picked it up. It was a study, I think, of 187 children in Poland. So not a massive study, but the headlines are all saying that on average, vegan children are three centimetres shorter than their meat-eating and vegetarian counterparts. And they also had weaker bones unless they take vitamin B and vitamin D supplements. Um, I don't want to go into this too much because I know that we could... (laughs) We could really spend like an hour debating this, um, mm-hmm. especially as later on um, in this episode, I speak to Alexandra Caspero and Whitney English, who are um, dietitians who have just lo- uh, released a book, The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler, and we discuss it in greater detail there. But yeah, I just wondered what your, what were your thoughts on this when you read it? I mean, 
really pertinent for me, especially as I'm about to become a mum for the first time. Um, also got my blood boiling, not just in terms of um, the findings, but I'd say more so how they were presented. So a couple of articles that we read, the um, headline was, a study looks at the, and I quote, dangers of a vegan diet for infants. But actually, when you read into the study, there's a lot of benefits for the vegan children versus the children who were eating meat and dairy and actually even more so versus vegetarian diet um so it just goes to show you know if you're if you're scrolling through quickly and you're you're skim reading articles you're going to take from that that there's no way that a vegan diet for children could be healthy at all yeah it's just so frustrating isn't it because we're trying to you know, move away from a meat-heavy diet. We all, you know, the science is there that proves it is that is not a healthy diet to feed to anyone of any age. Um, and, you know, it's not good for the planet either. You know, we're, we're in the middle of a climate crisis. This is really important that the next generation kind of leads the way. And, mm-hmm. you know, we as parents uh, educate our children. So it's, yeah, really frustrating with these sensationalized headlines. And like you say, a lot of the findings in the study were really positive. And actually, um, as I, you know, chatted to Alexandra and Whitney, um, as I'll be chatting to them later, uh, they kind of delve into the the amounts of, you know, supplements that the children were being given. So it's just, you know, it's just making sure that the diet is tailored properly. And, you you know, you've done your research, which, you know, most people do. And it said, you know, whilst it's saying that they're shorter and there was concern over things like the B12 and, and vitamin D, um, it also then in very small, small print said they had 25% lower levels of the unhealthy form of cholesterol and lower levels of body fat. But so far down the article that, um, yeah, it's it's one of the last facts that you get to. Which is massively important considering how many of our children are overweight and developing, you know, type 2 diabetes at ridiculously young ages. I think it was really interesting to read. And it certainly, you know, for me, makes you realise the extent to which, you know, if you are going to follow that diet, you do you do need to be sure that you're encouraging um, a really balanced diet, a, a whole food diet, you're supplementing if you need to, um, whilst children are still growing. But at the same time, there's no reason why that diet can't be so fulfilling and encourage a really amazing relationship with food, with with the children. And, um, you know, when you look at an omnivore diet, gosh, I mean, that could stretch over so many variations of children who maybe are really fussy eaters or, you know, not eating a a really well-rounded diet, even though they're eating meat and dairy anyway. So, um, yeah, I always think it's a shame when these articles come out because it not only skews the vegan diet really negatively, but for people like myself who are relatively new in their own vegan journey and then have decided to raise their children like that, it can be quite scaremongering, really. 
It is. I mean, I was telling friends about it last night, actually, um, just sort of, you know, discussing the study and and mentioning, you know, I was going to chat about it on the podcast. And I was kind of saying what we've just said, it's really frustrating and it makes me really sad because it's like a step backwards and, you know, everything else. Um, And my daughter, who's 15, nearly pointed out that I used to think and this is really hard for me to say that I used to think that um, it was wrong to raise a child vegan. Mm-hmm. And it really shocked me. I, I never thought that I held that view, but obviously she remembers me saying this. Wow. Um, I was all, also, um, it was something that was brought up on, I'm a member of the plant-based health professionals um, and in their Facebook group, uh, Dr. Shereen Kassam, who I spoke to in a previous episode, can't remember exactly which one it is now, but if you go to the Vegan Food and Living website, you'll be able to um, find the episode on there. She kind of looks at all the studies and goes through, you know, all the finer details and kind of debunks some of the findings and things mm-hmm. like that. Because, you you know, us kind of members of the public, like you say, you're just scrolling, you just get the headline, you're not going to be delving into how valid this research is so that's something that she does and points out any um disparities so following on from this study it's uh there's i think it was um talk radio had done a poll on i think it was twitter and youtube and Mm -hmm. the last time i checked i think it was about one hundred fifty thousand people had done the poll and the the question was is it child abuse to raise a child on a vegan diet (laughs) and i think it was 73 percent said yes Wow. So it's incredibly frustrating that we have so far to go. Yet there is me kind of ranting on my high horse as a, you know, converted vegan. And and there I was one of these people. So mm. what's going wrong? And when you think about it, I mean, the phrase child abuse is is very extreme. It's very emotive, isn't it? Very emotive. And to to connect something like uh, a diet that is inherently, I'd say, very, very compassionate and, and people who follow it are are really about compassion. Um just doesn't seem to sit sit together at all. But you're right, there's obviously something there. And I think these sensationalized headlines really do feed into that. You know, it was only, I think, a year year or so ago, I, I remember reading an article about a, a couple, can't remember where they were based, um, who had been uh, charged with child neglect because they had forced their child on a vegan diet. Well, it was vegan in the sense that it just so happened to not contain any animal products, but it it literally contained nothing. I think it was like maybe rice and one other food food group. Mm. Um, so yes, it was vegan by accident, but it certainly you know wasn't a vegan diet in the in the traditional sense of the word. But just in the way it was presented, yeah. You know, again, if you're skim reading that, if you're on social media and you're just reading a headline and then kind of putting your comments in it's feeding into that ideology that um it is cruel yeah I think um one kind of tip that someone said to me was to avoid the word vegan and to kind of use plant-based instead it seems sort of less threatening I think to people so Mm. maybe that's one way we can try and um 
you know, normalize this. It's not this freakish kind of cult. <laughs> it's it can be um a very, very healthy way of living that, like you said, is very compassionate and is going to, you know, be the biggest change that you can make to cut down your impact whilst living on this planet. Well, leading on from that, we were reading about uh Yakin Phoenix and his his little boy, uh River, who I believe is at the moment too young to be eating I think uh, he's relatively newborn yeah um but he discussed in an interview hadn't he about whether or not he would be raising his son vegan he did yes um it's another thing that I'm going to be discussing with Alexandra and Whitney later on um yeah he um has done a lot of campaigning hasn't he very public campaigning uh, mm. against you know factory farming and things like that over in the US i think it's LA he's based isn't he an amazing guy yeah so it's quite surprising to see him being quoted as saying he won't force his son to go vegan um but then if you read the uh, sort of read around it he also says that he won't be lying to his son he will be educating him on you know the the facts behind the food system so yeah I mean it's a tricky one obviously you're you're going to have all this to contend with aren't you I have to say I really liked his approach and how he framed it up in the interview because um you know in this in the same way I, I will choose to to cook and feed my child when when we get to that point a plant-based diet I and I will be totally honest about you know food processes and where things come from and I certainly won't be forcing forcing a lifestyle on them I think either forcing them to eat meat or to be vegan when they're old enough to make the decision for themselves doesn't doesn't sit well with me but certainly in our home and as a family we will be 100% vegan um so I think his his approach for me was something that that I w- was definitely aligned aligned with. Yeah, and I think um, comes across as less extreme, doesn't it? So you know, hopefully, mm. people will feel warmed to him and uh, obviously follow him and and see what he's you know campaigning against. It was funny though because I I also read the comments as. I'm not sure I should always do because that is where you really get yourself riled up. (laughs) Um, But people were saying, really taking that to to heart, saying, well, good for him. He shouldn't be forcing a vegan diet on his children. It's so cruel. Why deprive them of things that they're going to enjoy? Let them figure it out in later life. And I thought, gosh, the, the assumption is still there that a vegan diet is about deprivation and taking away all of the good things that everybody enjoys and um yeah it was I thought it was a shame that that's what the comments had taken from it because as somebody who is plant-based and about to become a mum and, and raise raise children for me it will be about educating them to hopefully continue with those choices but not forcing them to do something in later life once once they are old enough to decide what they want for themselves. Well, moving on, Chris Packham has been in the news quite a lot lately. I don't know if you've seen it, Gabriella, but he's been campaigning for better welfare for chickens, in particular um, in relation to Morrison's. 
they this is kind of another scandal for them they um were involved in a scandal i think it was a year or two ago with the charity viva who went undercover in one of the suppliers to morrison's i think it was pigs and if you go to the Viva website and you have a strong stomach, then you can read more about it and see some mm-hmm. of the very sad, um, hellish, I think they were described as uh, conditions that these pigs were living and dying in. It does make, it, it surprises me because you go into Morrison's and there's so many plant-based options now. They're doing so many great things for the vegan movement. Um, I mentioned on the podcast last week how great their um, meat-free burgers are. So to to hear this still going on is, yeah, it's really upsetting. Chris Packham actually created a Twitter storm a few days ago and 10,000 people tweeted Morrison's to campaign for the better welfare of chickens. And they he's running a virtual day of action alongside the Humane, Humane League on Thursday the 10th of June 2020. 21. So if you head over to Facebook and um, look up the Humane League, you should find that event on there and you can join in the the campaigning. I think what, what went wrong for Morrison's is they kind of disabled the comments on their Facebook page and um, and on Twitter and things like that. So that, you know, rather than addressing these issues and saying, we want to do better, we will do better. Mm. They kind of just tried to silence it. And obviously that's not worked. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a bit of a fail on their part to not allow the discussion to happen. And if the comments are there, you know, people just want the information. They want to be aware of what they're buying or the the truth behind what they're buying. And um, just to silence people really isn't isn't the right way to go about it. No, he's um, he's calling for Morrison's to adopt the better chicken commitment, which promises a higher welfare standards. I do think it's a shame because I was only having a discussion with a friend over the bank holiday, actually. Um, we went to stay with them and their local supermarket is Morrison's and they're also vegan, their whole household, including their almost five-year-old. And he's a, a very healthy, strapping young five-year-old just to... Not short or <laughs> definitely not short. Super healthy, super active. Just to add that one in. Oh, good. Um, but they were raving about the the vegan options in Morrison's and you know the range of choice. We personally don't have one near us, so don't shop in it. But um, it does make you then think, oh, you know, perhaps I I won't invest there if if whilst in one hand they're offering great plant-based options but in the other um selling really cruel meat options does make you think yeah yeah we'll head over to Facebook and get involved with um Chris Packham's campaign I did invite him on the podcast I tweeted him the other day but I expect he's a little bit busy doing all his other projects and things so uh, maybe in the future we can have a chat with him hopefully soon Have you tried any new products lately on your travels? Well, controversially, especially leading on from from what we've just been talking about, (laughs) um, a couple of episodes ago, we discussed the news of the new Burger King vegan options. So I decided to take one for the team. (laughs) Well done. uh, On our, uh, over our bank holiday, we had quite a long drive. So, um, 
obviously had to make a couple of service station stops. So I decided to give the vegan Royale a go. Um, I have to say, eating in those sorts of, of chains and choosing the vegan option is always twinged with a fear of have I actually been given a vegan option especially when they're so realistic um because my goodness was it a realistic chicken burger wow it tasted to me exactly how I remember a McDonald's McChicken sandwich the same texture the same flavor um very very realistic um for me it was delicious in the sense that you know I knew what I was buying I'm buying chicken a fake chicken fast food so I'm not expecting it to taste gourmet or or healthy um yeah but yes a very very realistic sub for me well that's brilliant for you know meat eaters or meat reducers isn't it because you know if it tastes that good and so like the real thing in inverted commas then uh yeah that's brilliant yeah. and actually in terms of how it was served it was in really different packaging very clearly labeled vegan all over the front of the of the wrapping that it came in so um I think the margin for for error is is low if if uh if at all so yeah not uh you know not the healthiest option and also not you know the best big brands to be buying from that also maybe supporting lots of uh of meat and dairy across the rest of their menu but uh needs must and I think there's always um room for these brands to be offering more plant-based options or vegan options and um it's a really really good offering yeah I think it's good to support the vegan options isn't it wherever you go yeah I tried the new corn peri-peri strips, which are kind of marinated pieces of corn. They're £3 in most supermarkets at the moment. I think they're actually £2 on offer in Waitrose. Uh, They were, yeah, delicious, really good texture um, and lovely flavour without being too spicy or anything. I also Mm. tried the, again, this is a new one, Gosh smoky barbecue sweet potato bites which are one pound they're pretty healthy actually they're just made from beans sweet corn carrots um they're only 118 calories a bag and they're just a lovely little snack for you know when you're kind of rushing around and just need something to grab when you you know between meals or whatever um so they were really nice and then the other thing we've reviewed is the boxes that we were sent from turnative so it's the UK's first specialist retailer for plant-based fitness and nutrition products. All their products are vegan, palm oil-free and GMO-free. And they're kind of like bespoke selection boxes. They're £10 and you get kind of a selection of different healthy snacks. You can, you can kind of choose on, in terms of what, you know, what you're looking to do. So build muscle, stay healthy, endurance and energy, losing weight or plastic-free. So, it, yeah, it was a lovely selection of, um, I think they were all sweet snacks, weren't they? What, what was your box? Yeah, it was a mix between um, very, I'd say, energy, protein, post-workout snack focused products. And then some more kind of 
delicious sweet treats. So like a coconut based chocolate I had in there, which was absolutely delicious, I have to say. Um, I think it's a really nice, nice initiative. Um, And certainly, you know, we've discussed before, haven't we, about um, the reputation of a vegan diet alongside things like training and muscle building and weightlifting and things like that. So I think, you know, having this uh, vehicle to promote high protein, post-workout, high fuel snacks that are vegan and like you say, perhaps also uh, plastic free and cruelty free and things like that is, is really great. Yeah, they've got it's a really nice way to try some new brands. They've got some really good ones like Love Raw, Prodigy, Lara Bars, and Perkia. I, uh, I yeah, I think it's a really great way to discover new brands. Um, in my box, I had a chocolate bar from I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Caribou, um, which was a coconut milk based chocolate, and it was a chocolate I'd never a brand I'd not seen before not been able to access in supermarkets or even health food shops and the chocolate was really delicious really light really creamy um not too sweet felt like it was it was full of of good stuff um as a treat so yeah I think it's a really nice way not just for us to try those brands but also for those smaller brands to get into um people's hands as well Mm, make a nice gift actually wouldn't it coming through the door really nice it was beautifully packaged actually yeah that's a great idea so yeah head over to the alternative website and check that out well we're gonna wrap it up there I'm speaking to as I said Alexandra Caspero and Whitney English who are known as the plant-based juniors Um, they've got a a huge following on um, social media and a new book out called the plant-based baby and toddler which I need to lend to you Gabriella I'm really excited for this interview, actually. Yeah, they really know their stuff. They're dietitians and mums of vegan toddlers. Uh, But you don't have to be a parent of a vegan child or even a parent at all to gain something from this interview. So have a listen and don't forget to drop us a review on your platform of choice. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Vegan Food and Living and at Simply Vegan Podcast and visit the Vegan Food and Living website for the latest news. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. So where did you guys meet and what led you to, you know, start living this plant-based way of life? Yeah, so Whitney and I met actually uh, a little over a decade ago at a blogging conference. Uh, I was a dietitian, she was studying nutrition, and we just really hit it off. You know, we became friends. Uh, neither one of us had any visions of, of being pregnant anytime soon at that point. Uh, we stayed in touch. And then when we both became pregnant with our sons, we sort of just, you know, were talking to each other, DMing on Instagram, asking about various studies, about how they were, you know, each other was going to sort of do this, this plant-based thing with, with pregnancy and with our, our sons. And we just felt like, oh my gosh, if we have so many questions about this, then we know other parents do as well. And we figured with our background, it was really sort of the, the perfect catalyst to start uh, plant-based juniors. And that's really the, 
the, the reason that we came together and really the reason that we got started. Yeah. At the time when there really wasn't a one-stop shop for plant-based kids that was had all of the information that parents needed to, to feed them an optimal diet. There were lots of people out there that were doing it, lots of mommy bloggers um, sharing their anecdotal reports, but nothing that was really written by experts and rooted in science. Uh, the few dietitians that we knew that were experts in plant-based nutrition for kids weren't really mainstream. So most parents just didn't have a place to go to get a lot of, a lot of their questions answered. And Whitney and I like to deal in like the nuance, you know, like we would read a book and it would say something like, you know, make sure to give your child B12. Okay. Well, how much, you know, and when we look in the studies, there are some uh, differences and, and there's, you know, some differences, even when it comes to weekly doses or twice weekly doses. And we were like, we need to find this information. Just saying B12 really wasn't enough for us. So that's why we felt like, okay, we're, we're really going to sort of dig through all of the studies, the research, and then present it to parents in easy to digest ways. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> so you've got the website, you've got all your social media, and you've also now just released a book. Plant Is Plant-Based Juniors and Toddlers? Uh, yes, it's called The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler. Okay. So I've actually got a copy of it. It's a really lovely book. It's okay. full of um, info, recipes, um, feeding plans, and things like that. So yeah, I, I'm so gutted, actually, that I wasn't vegan when I had my kids. Um, my daughter is fully vegan, plant-based now. Um, she's 15, but my son is nine and obviously was kind of, you know, raised on a classic Western diet, um, you know, fairly healthy, but still yeah. with the old, um, you know, dairy and and meat and things like that. So it has actually been quite difficult for me since I went plant-based, which was like nearly, well, three and a half years ago now. So it's, yeah, it's tricky when they're older. It's, I think it's much better to get them young. When <laughs> yeah. I mean, the research does suggest that early exposure to a diverse array of plant foods is going to increase the chance that kids accept it later in life. But many of the same strategies that we use for trying to get babies and toddlers to accept new foods are the same things that we would continue uh, as they grow up in adolescence and in the teenage years. But yes, it, it definitely is more challenging. I think the good news is that look at all of us, we became plant-based in adulthood. So there are numerous benefits that you can reap no matter when you decide to, to jump on the plant-based bandwagon. And I'll also add, there are numerous you know benefits, even if you're not a hundred percent, right? So if parents are listening to this and they're saying like, oh, my child still goes to daycare and consumes, you know, animal foods there or still eats them at, at grandparents' house, or perhaps, you know, you're not fully vegan yourself, like that's okay too, right? When we look at the, the research when it comes to the health of overall children. I mean, one in 10 get enough produce, one in 10 get enough fiber. So even if we're shifting to this sort of like predominant plant-based or just eating more plants, you know, that is still going to offer huge benefits. And, you know, like you mentioned, especially as our kids get older, we really can't, you know, make them do what they don't want to do, right? So if, you're, if your child still wants to enjoy some of their, their favorite animal foods and they're older and they can make those decisions for themselves, there is still such a huge benefit in offering plant-rich, plant-based foods at home. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I mean, it's a really topical point, isn't it, uh, at the moment? A new study uh, published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition has just um, been released and it's been... Mm -hmm all over the the news i know just not not just in the uk but australia and the us um and it found that i mean it's a fairly small study wasn't it i think 187 people so yeah it was it was not a very large scale study it was a little better than some of the studies that we've had on plant based kids that have a much smaller uh sample size but it's still not enough to make i think sweeping generalizations about a plant based diet for kids and there were many issues in there that led to the conclusions which 
we can dig into. Yeah. So the study found that on average, vegan children are three centimeters shorter than their meat eating or vegetarian counterparts. And that they also had weaker bones um, unless they take vitamin B and vitamin D supplements. So, of course, you know, the first thing as a vegan, you think, well, everyone should be taking vitamin B and D supplements. And obviously, if you're eating meat and cheese, then you'll be getting that supplementation via the animal that you're eating. So, (laughs) um, you know, you're just getting it sort of secondhand, aren't you, really? Yeah. So this is one of the reasons that Alex and I started Plant Based Juniors and wrote the book is because um, we just really wanted to make sure that plant-based parents had all of the information they needed to, to optimally raise their children. In this study, the Polish kids, about a th- only a third of them were taking um, B12 supplements. And I believe it was the same amount, only about a third were taking vitamin D. So that's two thirds of the plant-based kids that were not adequately supplemented. And so it's not all that surprising that we were seeing some issues, especially when it comes to bone health. We know two nutrients are really key for bone health, calcium and vitamin D. And the majority of these kids were not getting what they needed to fuel uh, peak bone growth at this really important time um, for achieving bone density. The vegan kids, I believed on, believe on average, were only getting about 330 milligrams of calcium per day, which for um, their age group is only about a third of what they should actually be getting. And I'll just sort of show, uh, point out too that the, the calcium recommendations do differ a little bit by, by country. So I think in the UK, it's 500 milligrams for the age group and in America, it's about 700 milligrams. But the, the, the overall theme is that they weren't getting enough, even though they were eating fairly healthy diets. And I think that's another thing that Whitney and I like to really emphasize to parents is that we believe that a fortified non-dairy milk is a really good way to ensure that kids, especially kids with younger bellies, uh, perhaps pickier appetites are getting all of the calcium they need. You know, just one cup of, let's say, a fortified soy milk can offer about 350 to 400 milligrams, depending on the brand, which, you know, is going to, to be about, you know, half to a third, to even more, depending on again, the country and the individual recommendations of what that child's calcium needs are for the day. And, you know, as an, as an adult, it's really not say easy, but it's, it's not as hard to get all of the calcium you need eating a mostly whole food plant-based diet. But again, when it comes to kids and perhaps they don't want to eat, you know, broccoli or tahini or, you know, all the other sort of abundant places of calcium in a plant-based diet, doing a fortified milk is a really nice way to ensuring they're getting, getting enough. And, you know, we, we really would sort to promote this, especially in light of the study and showing that these kids just weren't meeting their calcium needs without having fortified milks on top of it. I mean, would you recommend fortified milks for any age? I mean, you know, obviously most people um, breastfeed, but some people Mm -hmm. can't or don't want to, you know, what kind of vegan formulas are there? So the first part of that question, um, the only acceptable beverages for a baby that's younger than 12 months is breast milk or formula. So up until 12 months, those are the only two beverages that are going to provide all the nutrition that baby needs. At 12 months of age, that's when parents can decide to switch over from a formula to a fortified plant-based milk if they wish. They could also switch over to that from breastfeeding, or they can continue breastfeeding for as long as they want to, as long as the relationship works for both them and baby. 
Yeah, as far as formula goes, there's there's really sort of two main options on the market. I know that uh, I think actually in Europe there are uh, perhaps some goat options, but for for most people there's sort of either a cow's based formula or a soy based formula. Uh, here in America, there's not actually any entirely vegan formula because some of the supplements uh, that are in the soy based formula are actually animal derived, but it's going to be the the closest sort of thing to a to a plant based to a vegan formula. Uh, we recommend to parents to doing the one that works best. For, for them and for baby. And the reason we say that is because we're really having those two options on the market. And if your baby isn't agreeing, perhaps with the soy milk, the only ethical option at that point is going to be a cow's based formula. A homemade formula is not going to be safe and appropriate, nor is using another sort of non-dairy milk. And so we really like to sort of, you know, tell our parents that just because perhaps you, you wanted something for your baby, and it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to. It doesn't mean that you haven't made the best choice for, for your baby and yourself. Uh, but, but really, you know, like I said, that the soy option is going to be that the plant-based option. And then really the only other option at that point is going to be a, a cow's based one. Uh, one of the thing though, I just do want to mention based on that study, just to, to, to wrap up for any parent that's listening is uh, they were supplementing with B12, but they weren't supplementing with enough. So I think about a third of the kids had a vitamin B12 uh, supplementation, but it was a little bit less than the RDA here in America. And we actually recommend a higher level of B12 anyways for kids, um, because when you're getting it from a supplement, the amount that you're going to absorb after about one microgram goes down significantly. And so you really do need higher levels. It's why when you look at your B12 supplement, you see things like 500 micrograms or a thousand micrograms, even though the RDA, at least here in America is 2.6 micrograms. The reason for that is manufacturers know that we need to have these much higher levels in order to absorb those amounts. So just sort of reassuring parents that kids need supplementation from B12, but also to make sure that they're giving enough and not just meeting sort of those RDA amounts that are really based only from food. Are there sort of specific supplements for children or can they just take, you know, the supplements that an adult's taking, for example? Uh, Yes and no. They definitely need different dosages. So um, there are supplements out there that are specifically tailored to the amounts that kids need. Um, B12 is a really good example of one where we had a really hard time finding something that was in a child size dose. And even depending on the country you are in, uh, will determine if there's an availability of products that come in the small amount that, that kids need, which again, is still much larger than the RDA because of absorption issues. Uh, but in that case, you could so-called titrate the dose. So give them a little, give them a percentage of what you were giving if you were taking the adult dose, but they generally need about the, the, the same types of supplements. So we recommend that most plant-based kids after the age of 12 months are getting a B12, a vitamin D and iodine, and usually a, a DHA, an algae oil based DHA supplement. Um, some of those might be able to be met in a multivitamin, but again, you have to make sure you're looking at the label and making sure it has the, the correct amount in that. And Alex and I actually developed a free supplement guide that people can download at the link in our Instagram bio and on our website that really dives deep into all of these topics, explains all the in and outs of each nutrient and exactly how much your baby needs. Because as she mentioned earlier in the episode, this was one of those things that really, we just spent weeks, months <laughs> researching, trying to figure out because so many books out there would just say supplement B12. Yeah. And we, we and the dietitians and us say, how much you can't just give a baby the same thing that you give an adult. Um, and it really took, it really took diving into the literature and kind of um, extrapolating our own, our own um, research and, and, and putting in the calculations to figure out exactly how much kids should get. 
And I think the reminder too that, you know, all diets are supplemented at some point, right? So whether we're talking about fortification, whether we're talking about actually giving the animals these vitamins and then consuming them that way. Uh, Because I think people hear supplementation and think, oh, this isn't natural. But our our goal, our job is to make sure that plant-based kids are as healthy as possible, right? So when studies like this come out, we really want to emphasize that there was a lot of other benefits, right? They also had a a much uh, more uh, beneficial cardiometabolic profile than the omnivore or the vegetarian kids, which should not be overlooked, but there is a need for supplementation. And that really doesn't need to be sort of like, you know, poo-pooed or said that this isn't natural or we shouldn't do this. I don't think there's any reason to sort of not confront the science head on and say, sometimes these studies come out, it makes the diet looks less than optimal, but it's also because these kids were not being supplemented at the the levels that they needed to. And there's no reason why parents shouldn't be giving uh, their kids these supplements or ensuring that these nutrients are found in the diet because there are so many other of those protective benefits that were also shown in that study and in other studies. Yeah, it's just so frustrating, isn't it, that they kind of pull out the sensationalist headline to make everyone obviously read the story. Um, when, you know, if you do dive into the results of the studies, they were healthier in a, yes. many, many other areas. So, um, yeah, make sure you kind of read up on that and don't just take the um, the headline for <laughs> for being the truth. It brings to mind also the fact that we're always comparing plant-based kids to kids on a standard uh, Western diet when we know that a standard Western diet leads to an increased risk of chronic diseases that kids are starting to develop type two diabetes at the age of 10. So it's kind of ludicrous to compare a plant-based diet to such a suboptimal diet in the first place. Do you think we've got a long way to go in terms of educating people that a plant-based diet can be the the healthiest way to raise a child? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think that there's a there's a shift growing, right? I think that we're seeing more and more adults uh, who are a lot more open to the idea of eating plant-based, whether that's, you know, somewhat predominantly all the time. Um, I, I think that I've seen a huge shift. So um, I, I hate to say I stopped eating meat in 2006. And back then, you know, I was like begging the local grocery store to carry veggie burgers because they just like weren't in that rural town that I was living in at the time. And of course, now I can go pretty much anywhere and have, you know, dozens and dozens of options. So, you know, in that sort of short span, I feel like I've seen huge improvements and huge leaps and bounds. And that makes me really uh, optimal, really hopeful uh, for the future. But I do think that especially when headlines like this come out and people just sort of read the the quick synopsis and don't actually dig into the literature and and what they were actually studying and what the outcomes were uh, that aren't so sensationalized, I think it does take a step back, especially for for health professionals. I've seen it on Instagram already, you know, various doctors, people that we follow that are like, oh, see, this really isn't healthy. That's actually not what the study found, but they're not really digging into it and really learning because that's just not something that they're perhaps either motivated to do uh, or perhaps even, you know, want to to learn more of. So I think we've got, we've got a ways to go, but I am hopeful by some of the things I've seen over the past few years. The thing is, it's just so important, isn't it? Because even, you know, I mean, not all our listeners will have children. Some might not want them some might be a way off from having them or they might have children that have you know grown and left home but the thing is these you know these babies these children are the next generation aren't they and we need them to be you know educated on where their food comes from the the food systems that are broken and you know the effect of our diet our food system on the planet so it's it's such an important issue for everyone absolutely i mean their food choices are 
food choices go hand in hand, not just with the, with the global human population health, but the health of the planet and whether there will be a planet that's able to sustain the growing population. So um, again, I think we're hopeful. I think if you look at research on, on younger um, populations that we do see more people switching over to plant-based diets. So, so that's a good thing, but there is still a lot of misinformation, a lot of uh, contra- contradictory and controversial um debates going on in the nutrition space. And with so many people able to have a platform without any type of expertise, it can be really confusing for the general public to know, to know what the truth is. So we just got to keep getting out there, spreading the word. Yeah. So you said you're going to post something on your social media, aren't you? So um, everybody head over to, is it plant-based juniors? Yes, we're plant-based juniors on all platforms. Yeah, so head over there and obviously give these guys a follow and make sure you share the hell out of their (laughs) their post debunking this study. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, he's obviously, you know, very well known and very outspoken as a a devoted vegan. Um, He's often seen outside slaughterhouses protesting. He's just had his first, I believe it's his first child, son, And he has just, you know, been quoted as saying that he won't be forcing his son to go vegan, which is obviously quite surprising considering how um, passionate he is. Um, Do you think that feeding your child a plant-based diet is forcing your beliefs on them? I think that we, we all force our beliefs on our children, no matter what we're talking about, right? Whether we're talking about spirituality or religion or sort of our, our moral beliefs. I mean, that's what parenting is, right? Just, you know, I, we, we, we don't, we always expect ourselves to sort of mirror, uh, what we believe and what we, we want sort of the, the world to be for our kids on, on them. I think that's a really natural source of parenting. And that also includes diet. I don't know what, uh, the full statement was that he said, my assumption is that he he, he meant that he wasn't going to force him if he didn't want to be at some point. And that's actually a stance that we take as well, right? So we want, you know, research shows the more that we really push, push, push on, you know, whether it's a diet or something else when it comes to parenting, if kids are not into that, if that's all they want to do, then they're likely going to rebel against it. And that's going to make that, that issue or that topic even harder to navigate. So at some point, kids do become aware of various foods out there, of what they're options are. Um, and, you know, every parent is going to have a, a different sort of, you know, way that looks in their family and what's right for them. But we do think that allowing kids to sort of explore and figure out what works for them, you know, hopefully they'll also choose to to eat plants. But if they don't, and at that age that they're deciding that, I mean, that's just, we, we sort of have to respect uh, that's, that's their choice. We talk about this a lot in the, the last chapter of our book, that's kind of looking ahead towards raising a a plant-based child long-term. Uh, as Alex said, you you really, you can't force kids. We don't recommend it. Even starting at six months of age, we subscribe to a paradigm um, called the division of responsibility, where you're really putting eating choices in your child's hand and you're letting them choose if they're going to eat and how much they're going to eat. And really our job as a parent is to guide their eating choices, not necessarily to say you have to eat this or you can't eat that. Um, and just like it doesn't work with a toddler because you're going to end up in a power struggle. It's never going to work with a teenager. They're going to leave your house and they can eat whatever they want. So your best bet as a parent, no matter what you believe is really to try to uh, role model and guide your child into the behaviors that you want to see versus trying to implement really strict rules that are just going to backfire. 
Yeah, he's quoted as saying that he won't be kind of lying to them about the food system and where it comes from. So, for example, he's he's not going to be reading a book on farm animals and, you know, kind of pretending that this is the idyllic view. <laughs> he's going to tell them what happens. So, um, I mean, how can we sort of explain to our kids what actually goes on without scaring them? Because it's not, you know, the reality isn't isn't pretty, is it? Yeah, I think that's a really delicate balance. I think a lot of it is going to depend on the maturity of the child, the age of the child. So Whitney and I both have young kids. Uh, my son is three and a half. And, you know, we talk a lot about the fact that we we love animals. We love all animals. You know, he says things to me like, like, we don't eat chicken. Like, we don't eat hippos. Like, yeah, that's right, buddy. Like, we don't eat those things. Like, we, we love them. And he's even started to ask, like, why don't we eat hippos? Why don't we eat chickens? Like, you know, he doesn't understand that they're sort of a, a food that we people eat and food that people don't eat. But in, in his mind, it's just sort of these animals. And a lot of that's come from reading books on loving animals. We have a few recommendations in our book and on our website of sort of the, the kids' books that really sort of gently dive into some of these topics, not necessarily about the horrors of factory farming, uh, because that's going to be a little intense for, for that toddler, <laughs> but more on the idea that, you know, these, these animals should be treated with love and compassion and that sort of how how we want to to model that. So I think as my child gets older, my my children get older, we'll start to sort of gently introduce these these topics and these ideas. But again, I I don't think that, you know, at at five or six, they need to know sort of the the horrors of those uh, those practices because it's not going to be informing their choices at that point. Once they perhaps get into, you know, the teenage years and they start to maybe TV and explore some of their own food choices outside the home, maybe that's a good time to have those conversations. But it's the same thing that we talk about when it comes to nutrition. You know, my kid doesn't need nutrition lesson at three and a half. He just needs to know that these are the foods that we eat in the house. He doesn't need to know that this is healthy for him and this helps his, you know, gut microbiome and this is good for his heart. Like he doesn't need to know any of that. He just needs to know that this is the food that we eat. This is the food that we like. He can help me if he wants. And that's, I think, a much, a much actually better approach to overall nutrition. As kids get older, they can start to have a little bit more lessons and sort of tidbits as they can um, appropriate them. So how can we ensure our children are getting what they need from a vegan diet? Alex and I created something called the PB3 plate, which is our visual guide to meal planning. It's this cute little graphic with um, little characters on it for the different foods that shows parents really how to break down the different parts of the plate to make sure kids are meeting all their needs. So we have our three main categories, which are fruits and vegetables, legumes, nuts and seeds, and grains and starches. And we encourage parents to try to fill all three of those at meals and at least two of those three categories at snacks. And by doing so, you'll likely also meet your child's nutrient needs for uh, nutrients of importance that are micronutrients, such as things like iron and calcium, carotenes, um, omega-3 fatty acids, because these are all found within the major food groups. We, The one thing that we point out that is a macronutrient, because usually we don't call out protein and carbohydrates since plant-based foods are a composition of all three. We do point out fat because this is a place where a plant-based diet for kids does differ from adults. Kids need a ton of fat. They need about 35 to 40% of their calories coming from fat before the age of three. So we really want to make sure that parents are prioritizing that nutrient on the plate. But by following this food group model and then pairing it with thoughtful supplementation, kids can absolutely meet all of their nutrient needs. I think it's about mixing it up, isn't it? And just kind of covering all these bases can feel a bit overwhelming because you're thinking, oh God, I haven't got, you know, everything in this meal. But it's like you're saying, it's a long game. You know, you're, you're um, as long as you're mixing it up and including lots of uh, different foods regularly, then you're kind of going to cover. Yeah, I think parents, it's easy to get... Um 
to take a micro focus and look at a specific meal and worry that your child only ate his strawberries off his plate versus the legumes that you really wanted him to get in. But if we take a step back, nutrition really is a long game. It's about the totality of the diet, not a snapshot of one meal. So as long as you're following these general guidelines and letting your child lead the way and choose their their eating patterns, they're most likely um, going to meet all of their nutrient needs. And there are some easy ways to make sure that they are uh, with their regular well visits with their doctor, if they're following their growth curve and they're growing normally, normally for them, I, I like to point out, not according to others, as long as they're staying within their growth curve, uh, then they're getting what they need. Yeah. And I'll also say too, you know, this is the same advice we'd give to any parent, right? Regardless of diet, we should all be focusing on uh, the nutrients that our children need for optimal growth. If we sort of, you know, reference back that study that we talked about in the beginning too, the omnivores were deficient in several nutrients. They had about, you know, even half the, the fiber uh, that that plant-based, even vegetarian kids had. So we're, we're talking about the fact that all kids need to ensure that they're having macronutrients and micrograutrients that are needed for such this important period of growth, of cognitive development. Uh, so it's not just necessarily a plant-based thing. It's really a, an all kids need to be focused on getting nutrition. There are a few things we really want to focus on when it comes to plant-based diets. So what tips could you give for picky eaters? Because I have one and every day he decides that he doesn't like a new fruit or vegetable and it's very frustrating. So um, yeah, any tips? Very welcome. Yeah, it's, it's really frustrating. You know, we, we both have toddlers and, you know, we like to say that we're, you know, immense in all of the, the research and the recommendations and the studies, but, you know, it's one thing to sort of have the theory. It's another, when you come home to the dinner table and you have that picky child and you're like, oh my gosh, why is this so hard? So we, we definitely empathize uh, with that. Uh, in general, the recommendation is to serve these foods often and without pressure. Uh, Whitney mentioned earlier the division of responsibility in feeding, and it's really sort of taking that approach when it comes to picky eating as well. And what that looks like is, let's say that my child does not want to eat bell peppers. So I think what a lot of parents tend to do is say things like, okay, I know I've served those bell peppers before. My child doesn't like them. I'm going to stop offering them because I don't want to waste that food. I know he doesn't like it. Uh, instead, what we should be doing is really the opposite approach. And that is we should be serving bell peppers often in different ways, but without forcing our kids to take a bite or to have that food. Uh, because what we want to do is really continue to expose them to that, that food. Let them see this is sort of part of the overall family diet. This is the food that the family eats. Uh, and, you know, perhaps once that picky eating phase is over, they'll return back to it. That's what the research shows. Uh, but the more that we sort of pressure, the more that we say you must eat this, or you're not going to get this unless you take a bite, uh, that usually backfires. So much of picky eating is sort of rooted in this idea that our kids are becoming more autonomous. Uh, they want to have more control over what goes into their body. And we should be sort of celebrating that and not forcing against that. And we don't want to turn picky eating into a battle of wills because like any parent knows uh, that toddler or child is likely mm -hmm. going to win <laughs> when it comes to sort of stubbornness on, on what they're willing to do. Especially with older kids, some things that you can do is with your son, for instance, is get him involved in his nutrition. You probably already are, but some of the guidelines would be taking him to the grocery store with you and taking him to the produce aisle and being like, which veggies and fruits do you want? Have you ever seen this one before? This is an interesting vegetable. Why don't we grab some okra? What can we do with that? Um, and then having him help you out in the kitchen. And I know, again, we're talking about a teenage boy, so I don't know how interested he is in, in spending time cooking. But um, the more you can get kids feeling like that they have some 
sort of say in in the meals, the more they're going to feel invested in and, and be be likely to to accept the meals. So you can also ask him, say, what you know, what do you want for dinner tonight? Here are three options. So it's important to focus on open. Uh, closed end questions versus open end questions. So instead of what do you want for dinner tonight, which might be met with a pizza um, or hot dogs, then you would say, what do you want for tonight? We're either going to have tofu marinara or we are going to have um, spaghetti and, and lentil walnut meatballs. (laughs) And so those are some, some ways that you can help him feel like he has, has um, some say in the meals. And just like nutrition, you know, this is a long game approach too. you know, I've been taking a few years to get my child to eat bell peppers. It still hasn't happened, but he gets them on his plate, you know, two times a week. So it's really sort of about this idea that I'm not giving up. I'm going to continue to expose them. Um, And, you know, like Whitney said, exposure means so many things. It doesn't have to just necessarily mean what's on the plate. It can be picking it out. It can be playing with it. It can be cooking with it. Uh, It's just sort of, you know, taking a step back saying there's a big picture here. It is also totally okay. Hey, if your child never eats bell peppers or broccoli, there are so many other fruits and vegetables that are out there. Uh, they might be more open to, and, and that's great too. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. There was a lot to cover there. And as always, I wish we had you know more time to uh, delve deeper into these topics. But whether you've got vegan kids or not, I think it's really important that we are educating the next generation. And um, I'd encourage anyone to go and check out your social media, your website, and your new book, um, The Plant-Based baby and toddler thanks guys thank you holly it was a pleasure well that's it for this week's episode i really hope you've enjoyed listening please do visit the veganfoodandliving.com website in the meantime for all the latest vegan news advice and recipes for living your best vegan life and don't forget to tune in next week when i'll be chatting to matt pritchard otherwise known as dirty vegan he will come with an explicit warning no doubt i have interviewed him before and he's he's uh, certainly a character so that'll be a really good one see you soon Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.